Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Well, this is hour two of Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. I am Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Faith Radio. Uh, you may be listening halfway around the world today, and so it may um, not be morning any longer, but the middle of the afternoon. And so greetings to you as well, listening on the Faith Radio app or streaming at MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us. Um, all right, so I'm going to survey some uh, some headlines from around the world Um as we seek to bring the mind of Christ to bear on what is going on, because we as Christians recognize God has the whole world in his hands. And so let's be sure we have intentionally placed ourselves right there. So be sure you're spending time with the Lord, like getting yourself in the posture of the day, which is, you know, snuggled right in there into the palm of God's hand, right? Whatever else you are going to do before you get out there into the world that God so loves, Let's get into the Word of God, that the Word of God would get into us. Let's get ourselves ready to be agents of His grace and ambassadors of His kingdom. Um, and and the way that we do that, yes, we armor up. Yes, we put on Christ. Absolutely. Um, but we also get, get ourselves all snuggled right there where we belong into the very hollow of God's hand. So take a moment to do that. Take a deep breath and just, as a child of God, just snuggle in there for just a moment. Um, that's where you're safe. That's where you're secure. That's where you find your shelter from the stormy blast. That's where you will find your eternal home. So let me just encourage you to um, to take that posture, even as we uh, seek to comprehend and then apply the mind of Christ to all uh, of what is going on around the world. Keep in mind um, the headlines that I'm about to talk about. China. Uh, Russia, Iran, Saudi Arabia. Um, These are not nations in terms of the people in leadership who are governed by the New Testament, by the Christ to whom we bow down. Um, And so that is really important to be mindful of. These are not people who share your worldview as a Christian. It just, they just don't. And so... um, when we when we take into account all that is going on in the world, we have to remember that beneath every single one of these conversations, there is a deep, deep worldview storyline, and that is a storyline of religion. It is it, it is about it is about God and what people think and believe about Him, and how they're walking that out in, in the um, in the world today. So, China has reacted to a recent U.S. report. In this U.S. report, um, we uh, here in the United States were weighing. Uh, the possible the possibility of having to fight wars on multiple fronts, and so um, there's a 145 page report released by the Congressional Commission on the Strategic Posture of the United States. Now, why we would release this report publicly, I have no idea, but we have done so, and um, and we have uh, apparently kind of let the world know that, huh, 
we uh, we actually find it kind of troubling that we might have increased uh, aggression both by Russia and China and that we see, quote, a risk of conflict with two nuclear peers. Um, China is expected to reach nuclear parity with the United States by the midnight uh, by the wit. I was going to say 1930s. Let's go with the 2030s. And so, you know, it's already a 2023. So we're not talking about uh, a, a timeline that is all that long in terms of world history. Um, Iran, meanwhile, uh, via its foreign minister on Saturday, called on Israel to to stop its uh, approach of attacks on Gaza, warning that the war might be expanded to other parts of the Middle East, um, indicating that uh, Iran-backed Hezbollah, which is a terrorist organization in Lebanon, funded by Iran. Um, so this is the Iranian foreign minister on Saturday saying, um, that Hezbollah may well join the battle if Israel um, continues to uh, pursue its agenda in Gaza against the Hamas terrorists who crossed over into Israel uh, last Saturday on October the 7th. That death toll now standing at 1,300 Israelis. Um, we all know that Israel has now poised um, hundreds of thousands of troops um, well-armed and armored uh, on the border of Gaza, um, that the that the Gaza Strip has been under blockade now for a week, that a million people have been ordered south um, or encouraged to go south, and that Hamas is preventing at least some of those people from um, from moving out of areas that Israel has said it intends to level in its pursuit of Hamas terrorists. Uh, Saudi Arabia, which we talked a few weeks ago about being in a very positive position to normalize relations with Israel. Well, Saudi Arabia has now indicated it's going to shift its focus from talks with Israel to talks with Iran um, following the Hamas attack last week. So um, normalization between Saudi Arabia and Israel is apparently, quote, not off the table. um, But um, but things are obviously shifting rapidly in the Middle East. The death toll from the early morning October 7 attack by Hamas terrorists in southern Israel has risen to more than 1,300. That number includes 30 Americans. There are still 14 Americans missing. Some of them uh, are presumed to be among the more than 150 hostages that Hamas took during the attack, and their fate remains unknown more than a week after their abduction. Um, life inside the borders of the Gaza Strip are deteriorating hour by hour. Um, that is uh, no surprise to anyone. Um, and we're talking about a million people who have fled their homes um, and um, and the and the death toll uh, on the Gaza side of this is uh, is is rising rapidly and will continue to rise. Um, a, a few points for prayer today. The the United States and international mediators are trying to negotiate a humanitarian ceasefire that would allow aid to come in and foreigners to exit at the Rafah crossing between Gaza and Egypt. Egypt is a complicated, complicated um, part of this conversation, so we'll be lifting all of that up. Israeli forces, um, including some 360,000 reservists, including the daughter of my friend Jamie from high school, um, have lined Gaza's border for what Israel said is going to be a broad campaign. Um, We will be watching that as well. The United States has warships in the Mediterranean um, warning countries like Iran not to uh, pursue another front. The Gaza Health Ministry said 2,750 Palestinians have been killed, 9,700 wounded since the fighting erupted. 
About 500,000 people, nearly a quarter of Gaza's population, have taken refuge in UN schools, United Nations schools and other facilities, um, but water supplies and, um, and other supplies are dwindling rapidly. All right, all of that is going on. And then back here in the United States, um, we, have, uh, we have people who are not only protesting, but people who are taking things into their, uh, into their own hands. And so the FBI director, Christopher Wray, on Saturday reported domestic threats surging as conflict in Israel escalates, um, acknowledging an increase in threats due to, um, due to that heightened environment uh, in Israel and requesting that police continue to share intelligence and observations. Um, the FBI is reaching out to faith leaders and discussing potential threats against Jewish and Muslim communities. So we're going to talk with Elizabeth Newman because this is her area of expertise, and we're trying, going to try to um, try to get a grip on what's going on, not only halfway around the world, but the implications it has right here at home. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, our friend Elizabeth Newman is back today. She's a security analyst, and she works with the Moonshot Group. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Carmen. I think I'm just going to ask you an open-ended question here about, you know, what you're thinking and feeling and maybe what you're asking in light of the unfolding events in Israel and now Gaza. I'm feeling um, very uh, trepidatious, Um the it feels I feel I feel like you could have asked me this question a couple of years ago and I would have given you the same answer but it keeps spiraling downward that things keep getting worse and um you know when you work in the security field you're you're used to things not looking good um but but this the circumstances we find ourselves in um between Russia's aggression and Ukraine um China, which is clearly watching what's happening, and if they can, will take advantage of it. Um, Iran uh, and their their clear role here. We don't know exactly if it was a direct role or if it was a uh, more of a complicit role. The Iran's role here and the fact that they're saber rattling it, um, it it reminds me of uh, an article that the former Secretary of Defense recently wrote in Foreign Affairs magazine, and he said we we've never faced four allied antagonists at the same time. And the collective nuclear arsenal that Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran could have within a few years would be double our own. And and of course, like we have a nuclear arsenal that could destroy the world many times over. So it's it's not even the size at this point. It's just that you have so many nefarious actors um, who would love to see the United States destroyed, let alone, you know, take over parts of the the globe closest to them. Um, it, it's a time for uh, standing strong. And um, that is not where we are as a country, are we? Like, we're, we're very divided. And, and so I think what makes me gravely concerned is not just the enemies overseas, it's that we as a people are not unified we aren't serious. Um, we are more interested in blaming each other than in standing up against clear evil. And I and I think, um, I, you know, I have friends that have been working around the clock the last week because of what happened in Israel. And I just think of how different their post-October 7th experience is to the experience I had post 
September 11th, Mm. where we knew everybody had our backs. We knew people were praying for us. We knew that even though we had very difficult decisions to make about whether to put American um, men and women um, in harm's way overseas, we, we knew that even though, you know, we, the intelligence might be faulty or the, the tactic might be wrong, we still had a unified country. Um, so what you were worried about was, you know, making the best, wisest decision. You weren't worried, is the country just going to um, turn their back on you and with mm. with the next decision? And that's not the situation we find ourselves in. There are some very difficult decisions that people in the military, people in the diplomatic sector, people in the security sectors are are making right now. And they're making it and in the back of their head is how is this going to be shifted to be the latest conspiracy theory? How is this going to be manipulated to somehow imply that that we have these alternative or alter um, alter motives that that are somehow un-American? And and that it's just such a different environment today than it was 23 years ago Um and and that and that's what I I think makes us the most vulnerable is our division. Um, and that's not to say that the crisis in Israel isn't um, by itself unfathomably difficult. It is, um, but it's just that much more so when when I think about us at home, um, how how. Um, how broken we are as a people is, is really making me sad. Yeah. Um, when we, when we think about what is happening here uh, in the United States and close to home, um, the FBI is tracking increased threats against Jews and Muslims um, in the wake of Hamas's attack on Israel and then uh, in Israel's prepared response. So I'm wondering if after we take a very brief break, Elizabeth, you could maybe walk with us through some resources and tools um, for us as people of faith, as we, you know, consider our own houses of worship right where we are, um, is there, are, you know, maybe there are some ways to mitigate um, some of that, and, and maybe you could walk us through some ideas. Could we do that? Definitely. Great. So we're going to continue our conversation with Elizabeth Newman. Um, if you're, you know, if your pastor's not listening or the leadership of your church is not listening to Mornings with Carmen, this next section um, might be a part where you want to take some notes so you could share it with them we're going to talk about how we, as people of faith, um, you know, can be prepared for and mitigate against attacks on our own houses of worship in, in, in what is very much an increased threat environment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, Elizabeth Newman is with us. She is a security analyst, and she has, like, real experience in Homeland Security. 
Uh, and so I thought, what better person to ask when we consider, you know, the increasing threats that we um, that we recognize uh, that the FBI has told us to be aware of in, in terms of um, the the threat environment we now live in the midst of. And so this is not we're not seeking to foment fear here. What we're doing is seeking to um, be prepared um, and be vigilant and to prepare in particular our houses of worship um, for this increased threat environment. So Elizabeth, maybe you could walk us through some things that we um, ought to be doing at our houses of worship in terms of security. That That is awesome. And I love I love the focus on practical things that we can do. Um, first, a little bit about the, the nature of the threat. We have seen in the last few years pretty drastic increases in uh, threats of violence and actual hate crimes, particularly against the Jewish community. Um, and unfortunately, since October 7th, uh, at Moonshot, the company I work, we've been tracking a 145% increase in violent rhetoric online. Um, just because people are talking about it online doesn't necessarily mean something's going to happen offline, but we do often see a correlation between increases in online rhetoric um, of a drastic nature, resulting often in uh, inspiring people to do things offline. Um, we we are seeing um, increases in uh, threats against um, Jews, Palestinians. Um, there was a, a murder, murder over the weekend of a Palestinian boy in Chicago. Um, it's just a really volatile time. Um, so one of the um, amazing things that our community can do is uh, to call for peace and for calm and um, uh, be absorbers of grief that people mm. are experiencing and um, and offer to pray. Um, and we also um, need to speak out against evil. Uh, what happened on October 7th was evil. And um, the, there's no moral equivocation or whataboutism. And it's, it's important for us to speak truth as it pertains to uh, to what happened. Um, at the same time, we need to be wise. Um, there, there are people who um, lump uh, Christians into the the Israel question, or just Christianity is seen as uh, the American religion. Um, so, if there are people that are um, looking for targets, sometimes those targets can be houses of worship, um, as as we've unfortunately seen in the past. Um, the the organ the I used to work at the Department of Homeland Security, and at the Department of Homeland Security, there's an organization um, which has kind of a funny name. Um, the acronym is CISA, C I S A. And um, they uh, they do cybersecurity and infrastructure security, which you might think, what does that have to do with the church? But it makes them actually really smart um, at knowing how you harden um, or strengthen security of uh, buildings, including houses of worship. Um, and so they have a guide that they've put out. And um, Carmen, I'm assuming we're going to put this in the uh, yeah. The, I'm going to send it out. I will. I will uh, absolutely. Uh, if anybody wants, we're going to talk about it very specifically. It's a little bit hard to find. It's at CISA, C-I-S-A dot gov in their resources um, tab. Um, but I'll send you the direct link if you're if you're um, if you're interested. You know, you know, just text me eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. All right. So, what are a few things, Elizabeth, in this um, in this CISA um, recommendation sheet for houses of worship? 
Yeah. So the um, the first thing is to actually think about and have a plan. Um, one of the things that we know, um, and this actually has helped churches and places of worship where they've unfortunately faced attacks, is if you have a plan um, and you walk through some of these basic security measures, you are more likely to reduce the loss of life uh, quite significantly. Um, and um, you want to have designated people. It doesn't, you do not have to be a big church to do this, by the way. You can, uh, my parents' church has um, the elders and the deacons um, uh, have different safety and security roles. And they run through these roles a couple of times a year. And it's just basically having a plan and drilling that plan um, so that if in a bad day, um, people operate automatically as opposed to having to think about what to do. Um, so it's everything from uh, knowing which doors are going to be locked and which doors are gonna be unlocked, making sure that people can exit out uh, quickly um, that's a, an important part of um, plans, um, making people, sure people can't get in uh, in places where they shouldn't. Um, some of this sounds really basic, but in day-to-day -day operations, we sometimes, um, you know, if you don't have a full-time security officer, that these are things that you just might not notice um, need to be uh, fixed or updated. Um, you want to for sure focus on the safety of children and implement safety measures around any places where the uh, children might be. Um, and it, this might sound a little different, but you also kind of want to um, take a look at um, how your church, um, uh, your cyber infrastructure is, is structured to make sure that you couldn't um, be vulnerable to a cyber attack. Um, that might seem less critical and, and, and maybe it is from in the context of uh, protecting your um, community from a violent attack, but, but that can also play a role sometimes in um, helping an attacker uh, prepare um, for an attack. So there, there, there are some much more detailed information in this guide. Um, CISA also has people that are located across the country. They are called um, protective security advisors. Um, the Secret Service also has agents that they will occasionally send out to different parts of the community to actually physically go and see your location and provide advice on what you can do. Those are free resources. Um, they get booked up in advance, um, but but they're available for the community to, to think through and plan how to make their community safer. And uh, a number of these resources are available on the website, so we'll make sure to give um, that information um, to Carmen so that she can provide it to, to the community here. Yeah, if you want the direct link um, to the to the resource tools we're talking about, just send me a text, 877-933-2484. Um, we've got about a minute, um, Elizabeth, and I just maybe want you to encourage people um, to not be in fear, even mm -hmm. though we are going to remain vigilant. Yeah, you know, I was... Um, listening over the weekend to um, Habakkuk, which is uh, a sermon on Habakkuk, which is not exactly um, something one does very often, but it was a, a Tim Keller podcast uh, that he f uh, recorded back in 2009 in the context of the financial crisis. And, mm -hmm. and it was just so, it felt so relevant because what he was talking about was um, uh, here was Habakkuk going like, there's violence all around me and and Lord, when are you going to show up? And the Lord's response is like, I'm doing 
something amazing in your time, but it it's not the thing that you think it's going to be. And, mm. um, and meanwhile, Habakkuk's like, but Lord, what are you, when's the justice coming? I, I want, I want the righteous to be saved and, 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 um, and it just, I, I cannot do it justice. Obviously one, I'm not Tim Keller too. We don't have enough time, but I just want to encourage you to be in the scriptures. God provides for his people. God has a plan. And even when all of this around us feels like it's chaos and we don't know where it's going and it, as a human being, it's very normal to, to feel that fear. We have just such a strong anchor. Um, we have a refuge and he, he knows, and we are to wait and watch and follow his, be obedient to his calling. If you need to, you know, in the way that he calls you to serve in your community, um, that, that would be my encouragement is, mm. is he knows we are watching and waiting. Um, be prepared when he calls you to serve, to act, if it's to give money um, to those who are recovering in Israel or um, uh, to serve in your community, to stand with the Jewish community. Those are all active ways um, of of being Jesus and in, um, Jesus's love in a difficult time. But also we are to be a people that aren't anxious, that aren't fearful, because we we have that ultimate anchor and hope in Christ. Um, and the world needs that right now. The world needs a non-anxious presence. Um, so that would be my encouragement. So and um, trust me, I have to work at it every morning <laughs> to find that. that no, that's piece. really but good. It, right? That is really good. Yeah. Thank you. Um, thank you so much, Elizabeth. We're going to be praying with you. Um, thank you for the resources that you have uh, passed along to us today as well. Um, Be anxious for nothing, my friends, but with prayer and supplication, let's present everything before the Lord. Um, And even as we plead, like Habakkuk did, that God would send justice in our day, um, and and in the words of Amos, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, let's just recognize that God's justice and righteousness flow in ways and in directions that are sometimes surprising, and they um, they cut new fissures, and um, and they change the world. But it starts in human hearts. And so let's be people of justice and righteousness in our own lives. And let's walk humbly today with the Lord our God. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. What a delight to have joining us today, Greg Kokel. You know him as an apologist and an author. Hopefully you also know him from Stand to Reason. That's where he serves as the president. You can find Stand to Reason at str.org. Greg, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, it is the morning here. More morning than for you, I think, but it's glad <laughs> I'm glad to be with you this morning. Thanks. Thank you so much. We want to talk with you about your brand new book, Street yeah. Smarts, Using uh-huh. Questions to Answer Christianity's Toughest Challenges. Maybe let's just start with, you know, what's the street we're talking about? Get, get us out there onto the street so we can get street smart. Sure. Well, the street is a common term referring to dangerous places that you might go in a city. You know, you, I live in a Los Angeles. You don't, you don't go into South Central. You don't even drive through, you don't even fly over South Central. You know, it's dangerous. And that's the way we often feel 
when we engage in spiritual conversations about our convictions as Christians or theological convictions or our ethical convictions as Christians. We just feel like we're in the street. We're really vulnerable. So the street is wherever you feel vulnerable. And that mm. could be uh, in your office with your workers, uh, your colleagues of some sort. It could be in a university with students or with professors. It could even be in, in your own family where you can talk about all kinds of different things until you you touch on certain topics, you know, and then those are tripwires. And because of that, because of the conflict that's uh, that's built into a lot of those issues, a lot of Christians don't go there. And they don't go there largely because they're scared. Um, and I understand that. The apostles were scared when Jesus sent them out in Matthew chapter 10 in the first missionary journey. He said, do not fear three different times. In Acts chapter 18, when Paul was in Corinth, his knees were knocking. Really, Jesus had to appear to him in a vision and say, don't be afraid anymore. Go ahead and speak boldly. So well, I'm very sympathetic to the idea of uh, of being frightened in those environments. And that is the reason that I put together this basically training tool, which is a, 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 um, a sequel to the earlier book I did on tactics that will help people feel safe in the street because they're properly prepared to face those challenges. Um, certainly when we start talking about streets, uh, you know, you've got my, now you've got my mind, you know, moving uh, in terms of the narrow way that I am um, seeking to follow Jesus, who is right. the way and the truth and the life. I mean, there are ways in which we can walk in the world as believers in Jesus, even in the midst of um, the highways and byways, the the dead ends, the maybe the private drives that people are living living down. I do think that the street... And our sense of who owns the streets maybe has changed even just in the past few years. So when you talk about those tripwires, when you talk about those challenging conversations that we find ourselves tempted to avoid and walk away from, maybe you could identify a few of those. Yeah, it used to be the street was more like a friendly neighborhood when I first became a Christian 50 years ago. Of course, that's changed now, and uh, it seems like everything's intercity, okay? But you touch on just about any issue. What I cover in the book Street Smarts is I cover atheism. I've got two chapters on that. I've got the problem of evil. I have two chapters on abortion. I have two chapters in the Bible, one dealing with challenges to biblical issues like so-called slavery and um, a genocide in the Bible. Another one, science and the Bible. For example, Jesus. He's a he's a you know a hot rod, basically a lightning rod. And who is Jesus? And what did he claim? Uh, those are issues. Uh, gender, sex, marriage. These are all issues that are hot button issues in our culture. And I have whole chapters dedicated to them, not just to help you unwrap what's wrong with them. So when you're facing a challenge, maybe a a challenge to your own view. Uh, or when you're facing somebody else's view that they're trying to advance, uh, not only showing what's wrong with that, but giving a game plan, a very particular game plan using questions like in the tactical game plan in the book that came before this one, that uh, that allows you to maneuver with a tremendous amount of safety, even when you're facing these tough challenges. And they are they are tough, Carmen. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Greg Kokel. The book is street smarts. It comes on the heels of a book uh, that Greg wrote called Tactics. And so I think we better describe the tactical game plan. So then we can move into the conversation about 
we're not uh, harvesting right now in evangelism. We are gardening. We're planting yes. seeds. So yeah. I want I want I want for you to describe both of those things: the, okay. the gardening conversation, s- and then the the but also this tactical game plan. Sure. Yeah, the gardening comes first because I think what needs to happen is Christians actually have, in my view a really mistaken understanding about how evangelism is supposed to work. Uh, We have a received tradition, Carmen, in our culture that actually comes from the middle of the 18th century. That's altar calls and challenging people to pray to receive Christ uh, as Lord and Savior, that kind of thing. And I'm not against those things. I've used them before, and they are effective. However, uh, we kind of have the sense that that's the way evangelism is done. And it was never done that way in the New Testament. There's not a single altar call in the book of Acts or in the Gospels. Nobody is challenged to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. That just isn't the way it was done. Something else was 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 happening there. And, um, and here's the way I put it. It's a general principle. Before there can be any harvest, there always has to be a, a season of of gardening, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. no duh, you know, everybody knows this in terms of agriculture, but it's also true in evangelism. And in most people, if they think in their own lives, if they became Christians as as adults or a young person or something like that, they haven't always been a Christian kind of thing. Um, there was a period of time where s- someone somehow was in a sense gardening in their life, uh, planting and watering and weeding and talking with them and answering questions and they're pushing back. That's who it was for me 50 years ago in the Jesus movement. And then finally, a, a, a conversion, okay? And sometimes the conversion wasn't the moment. That isn't like, there's a lot of people don't remember um, having a conversion experience, a, a prayer to receive Christ. In fact, now I take polls with audiences, and the last two audiences, large audiences I took, about 90% of the people in both audiences did not pray a prayer to receive Christ. They did not come forward during an altar call. There was some other dynamic that was going on where they were listening and thinking, and, and then they, in a certain sense, they realized they were believing and trusting in Jesus as Savior. I, I'd call myself a Christian now, they might think, okay? And this is the way it happened in the New Testament. So there was all this gardening going on of various varieties, even Jesus. He, he didn't get to the gospel, the so-called good news. Here's how you can be saved. Hardly ever. He, he focused on the bad news a lot, you know, uh, the difficult place people are in and the sin that they were carrying before the good news of come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden was offered to them. And so what we have in evangelism is we have now, we have harvesting tools, little booklets that give the simple gospel, which people don't even understand nowadays, and uh, just spiritual noise to them, and then a prayer that they're supposed to pray to receive Christ. Okay, like I said, I'm not against that. But the question is, does this really communicate in this culture? And is it a sound way to go? I'll tell you, mm-hmm. Carmen, for most Christians who think that they have to try to press for a decision to receive Jesus to make their evangelism legitimate, those people aren't going to do anything. They're going to mm-hmm. sit on the bench, okay? And so the first corrective is helping them to see, we're just going to think about gardening. We're going to give people something to think about. We're not going to, you know, swing for the fences. I like to call it putting a stone in their shoes, okay? We're just going to uh, kind of annoy them in a good way. So they've got to think about something that we've said, and then we let them think about it. We're, no pressure. And this is the way it happened in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. But then the question is, do we have a tool that will help us to garden? And this is where the tactical game plan comes in. 
Uh, I talk about it in Tactics, of course, the original book, but I, 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 you don't need that book in order to get the best out of Street Smarts because in the first section, I revisit the game plan. And basically, it's a game plan that trades on um, something I learned from a TV detective. His name is Lieutenant Columbo, right? Hmm. Also goes back to, to Socrates. But the whole idea is of kind of coming in in a you know a, a mild manner, under the radar, scratching your head. Uh, something about this thing bothers me, you know, Lieutenant Columbo, and asking a question. Now, there's a very specific pattern that I offer a three-step game plan. And the first two steps are so completely simple because you're simply gathering two kinds of information. The first first step is gathering information about the other person's view. So when they offer something, well, uh, I'm an atheist. Really? Well, what kind of atheist are you? Oh, mm-hmm. God doesn't exist. I don't believe in God. What What kind of God don't you believe in? You shouldn't be pushing your morality on me. How am I pushing my morality on you right now? Please explain that to me. You're intolerant. Well, what does that mean? Why would you call me intolerant? What am I doing? So these are all questions that are offered just to get more information. And actually, the more information that you get, the better it is for you because you're not only are you getting a clearer understanding of the view and maybe some more information about a way you might maneuver in dealing with the view, but also if the other person doesn't have the truth, they're digging a bigger hole for themselves the more they talk. And you right. might be able to see that, okay, from the information we have in tactics. Now, once okay, you learn- Greg, we got we to we hit the pause button just very, very briefly. We're going to get okay. to step two and step three in this tactical game plan as we are getting street smart with Greg Kokel. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. Returning to our conversation with Greg Kokel, we are talking about his new book, Street Smarts, Using Questions to Answer Christianity's Toughest Challenges. Um, We are in the street with Greg. We are working out a tactical game plan. Step one is to gather information and keep gathering information about the other person's view. And there are all kinds of good um, questions that are suggested when a person uh, raises a raises really normally a personal issue and you can dig deeper to learn more and more. And then once you've gathered information, Greg, what's step two? Yeah. The first step is you figured out what they believe. The second step is to figure out why they believe it. And that's just another question. How did you come to that conclusion? The first question is, what do you mean by that? Or some variation. The second question is, well, how did you come to that conclusion or what are the reasons for it? And by the way, this is all friendly. It's all relaxed. We're just yeah. trying to get clear on their view and it's a conversation. So it's very, very, um, very uh, amicable in our conversation. You're showing a genuine interest in the other person. Once you get those two pieces in play, uh, place uh, and with those ter- first two questions, uh, there's a third step. And the third step is the more difficult one. It's it's kind of the speed bump in the conversation, so to speak, because it, uh, we're going to use questions again. You know, the subtitle of the Street Smarts book is using questions to answer Christianity's toughest challenges. We're going to use questions again to expose a weakness or a flaw in the other's view, or maybe deflect uh, an in an illicit or inappropriate kind of challenge, okay, to to our views. Okay, that's more difficult because, as I suggested earlier, you got to know 
what the flaw is. You have to have a target mm-hmm. to shoot at with your questions. First of all, it's not open-ended. And then you there's the second thing you need is you have to have in your mind a sense of the steps that you follow in order to get to um, that conclusion. There's A, there's B, there's C, there's D. And therefore, this is how it all adds up to showing that your view is compromised in some way. All right. The difficulty is, is uh, if we don't know those steps, you know, then we're not going to be able to move forward. So that's the second part. And the third one, since we're using questions, what questions do we use to continue to engage in conversation to move through those steps in a particular conversation? Okay, so let me give you a quick example of that. Um, I'm at the University of Toronto, and I'm giving a, a talk there, and uh, somebody asked me about proof for the existence of God or evidence for the existence of God. I said, do you mind if I ask you a few questions? No, that's okay. So right away, I'm kicking in to my mm-hmm. street smarts portion right here. I'm making the case against atheism with a very simple, common sensible um, argument, so to speak. I said, the first couple of questions are simple. Let me just, let me just play along with me. Okay, sure. I said, do you think that things exist? <laughs> yeah. He said, this microphone exists is what he said. Okay. All right. That's good. I can work with that. I agree with you. Things exist. All right. The things that exist, whatever they are, have they always existed? Okay, so we're asking the question now about the eternality of the cosmos, the universe, you know, uh, or his microphone, as as the case may be. No, it hasn't always existed. Nobody believes that the universe is eternal. Certainly Christians don't believe that, but non-Christians don't believe it either. They all believe that it came into the existence at the Big Bang. Now, some Christians are uncomfortable with Big Bang. Okay, don't worry about that. Keep in mind that what they believe is the same thing we believe. Everything had a beginning. Okay, great. I tell them I agree with that too. All right. Third question. This is the most important one I tell them. What caused everything to come into being? Okay. Now, I'll help you out. I tell them I just, there's only two options, either something or no thing, <laughs> either something or nothing. Okay. And either, in other words, something outside of the material universe is the reason for everything in the material universe. And of course, that would have to be something pretty powerful and pretty smart and personal. In other words, you're getting pretty close to the G-O-D word here, right? Mm-hmm. Or no thing caused the universe. It just popped into existence out of nothing for no reason and no purpose. Okay, those are your options. Now, here's the point I'm trying to make, Carmen. What's the odds-on favorite? Where's the smart money? That everything just popped into existence out of nothing. We have no experience that of that in our common day-to-day life of things just popping into existence. Now, things that come to be are caused to be. And so the smart money is on something, or more specifically, someone caused the universe to come into existence. Now, that's why I stop with it, okay? There, there you go. There's a solid reason. Actually, in this case, I'm not trying to prove God, I'm trying to show that he is the best option. He's the best explanation. And then they can just think of it about it. That's the stone in their shoe. Let me mention one other thing, Carmen, about that illustration. And that is, instead of me putting the pieces on the table, things exist, things didn't always exist, they came into existence. Um, Instead of me putting there, that gives him an opportunity to just disagree with me at every point. I asked a question and he put the pieces on the table and he's not going to disagree with the things that he put on the table. So I'm actually enlisting my, uh, my adversary, so to speak, 
as an as a as a helper, you know, helping me to make the point against his view by asking these common sense questions that lead to the most important thing for that person to consider the best explanation for the way things are, in this case, God. And there's a lot of issues that are it's basically the same way I go through everything, whether it's the abortion issue or the or problems that in the Bible, sometimes there's information you have to give people because they're just not aware of certain biblical things that they're confused on. But I always do that by using questions. It's so good. I think, Greg, one of the observations that I will make is we have to have a willingness to um, to walk away from the conversation and leave the stone in the shoe. And right. I think that very, very often we have imagined that we have to close the deal. We have to answer mm-hmm. all the questions, even the ones they're not they're not asking right now because they don't <laughs> even know to ask them. And I have to tell them the questions that they should be asking. And then I have to give them all of the answers to all of those questions before I walk away from this conversation That's or right. I haven't you know, done my job. Yeah, one of the liberating things about your book, in fact, both of these books, Tactics and then Street Smarts, you know, part of the liberating reality here is I don't have to accomplish all of this. If my job might be to till the soil, my job might be to plant the seed. My job might be to sit with a seed that somebody else planted, with a stone that somebody else put in this person's shoe. I might be the next person along the the chain of events mm-hmm. in this person's life where God is orchestrating uh, an encounter with them that he has set. And so that's that's just part of the liberating aspect of what you've done mm, here. Mm, um, we yeah, have to, I, unfortunately, Greg, we have to leave it right here. <laughs> We're just going to completely run out of time. But what a delight to have the opportunity to talk with you. I'm a big fan. Thank you so much for everything that you do at Stand to Reason. Um, you guys can connect with Greg at Stand to Reason, S-T-R dot O-R-G. Um, the book is Street Smarts, Using Questions to Answer Christianity's Toughest Challenges. So what are the questions that maybe um, you're thinking about right now? What are the what are the questions that you would like some street smarts to be able to engage with and answer? Maybe we could run around in a few of those um, in the coming days. Why don't you why don't you text me? Hey, here are some questions that I really don't know um, how to engage with a friend, a colleague, a neighbor. I just I don't even know how to get into the conversation. Maybe we could. Um, maybe we could till some of that soil in the coming days as we seek to cultivate some street smarts together. So you can always text me, 877-933-2484. But for now, just take these, um, take these text- techniques with you today. Ask people, what do you mean by that? If you don't feel like you have a full understanding, then, you know, take my um, three favorite words, tell me more. So what do you mean by that? Tell me more. How did you come to that way of thinking? Like, what led you to that belief? And then, of course, you're going to put a pebble in their shoe, right? Put a stone in their shoe, right? Um, Expose the weakness or the flaw and then walk away. Have the courage to walk away. Have the courage to um, trust that God is going to work in and through the questions that you've asked and then lead you back to um, a follow-up conversation and encounter where you can... Um, where you can do more. All right. Um, What a delight to spend time with you today. Thank you so much. It is a joy to be with you. Um, Let's be praying peace today uh, in our relationships and over this world that God so loves. Let us be vigilant. Let us be um, suited up for the spiritual warfare that we are actively engaged in. Let us recognize the tools the enemy uses, distortion, distraction, discouragement, deception, division, 
Um, And let's be people who put on the full armor of God, even as we go to our knees, lifting up the world he so loves in our prayers. I'll be praying for you. You be praying for me. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.